Well, we started a mini-series a couple weeks ago called Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life, and we're taking some classic stories from the Bible that most of us know, and we're teaching some ancient wisdom, or some modern life wisdom and, and practical lessons for us based on that story. So we're going to do that again this morning. Our lesson is going to be titled, Nourished, Nourished. And we're going to be looking at chapter 6 of John, the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, you can jump over there, John chapter 6. And it's a longer passage, but it's a narrative, and we're going to read the story of this beautiful chapter. Honestly, John chapter 6. If you haven't read John chapter 6 in a while, read the entire chapter. There's a lot there and a lot of amazing things that Jesus does, but nourished is where we're going today. Before we get there, what is the holiday that's coming up this week? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that we pause to say thank you to those who God has given us, those who have blessed us. Thank you to all the things that God has given us. So I'm going to do that today before we start. I'm going to tell you the things that I'm thankful for as a pastor. I have 12 of them, and I could have gone on and on, but I decided to cut it there because I, I, that would be our whole, our whole lesson. So I'm going to give you 12 things that I'm thankful for, and these are a little humorous, but honestly, there's a lot of truth to this as well. Uh, number one is my wife, as I see her entering with the baby right now into the child room. My wife, I want to say thank you to my wife for who besides the Lord himself is the reason the devil doesn't get very close to me. Do you know that? Because he would have to deal with her. And uh, he's fought that battle before and lost and many else have as well. Um, Janine is a strong woman and I'm so thankful for her. I want to say thank you to my kids. My kids, three of them are down here tonight. I want to say thank you because they always tell me that I'm the best pastor in the world. <laughs> Even though they've never had another one. And every time they tell me that, I give them candy. So, thank you, kids. I'm thankful for my kids, all eight of them. I want to say thank you to my mom, my mother, and most of you know her name is Peggy. She goes here as well. Uh, my mom, because she reminds me how pathetic I used to be before Jesus. I'm thankful to my mom for that, and she reminds me constantly, even now, to stay near Jesus, because she doesn't want to see that pathetic guy anymore. So thank you, mom, for that reminder. I want to say thank you to Cheryl Merrill. Cheryl, thank you, a.k.a. Mrs. Claus, who makes my children never want to miss church. Did you know that, Cheryl? Because of your little bag of goodies. So my children are anxious to come to church. Thank you, Cheryl Merrill. I want to say thank you to our worship band, right? Thank you to our worship band for making us all feel a little sad when the music ends and the pastor has to get up. So thank you, worship band, for that feeling. I want to say thank you to our fellowship team. Lots of fellowship happens here at Crossroads, and I want to say thank you to those people. Now, I will often cast a vision to these people, and I'll ask for a huge event with lots of food on very short notice. And I'm always cringing when I ask them that to wonder what their response is going to be. And they always say something like this. Yeah, I think we can do that. And uh, they do. Somehow we pull it off. And I want to say thank you to the fellowship team for doing that because I often bring things like that to their table. I want to say thank you to the children's ministry team that is blessing us this very moment. Because the children's ministry team on several occasions has come up to me after I preach for about 50 minutes with trembling in their voice. And they say, Pastor, I need to say something. I wish you would preach longer. No lie. Because it always goes so fast. And you know how rare that is for a pastor to hear when someone says, preach longer, buddy? Now, we're not, still not going to. But um, that's a rare thing to hear from a children's ministry team because they're so great. Uh, I want to say thank you to the security team, those who take care of us here, those who are willing to take a bullet for our church because they're that anxious to be Jesus. <laughs> thank you, security team. <laughs> And I believe Joel is. Um, I want to say thank you to our facility team, the ones who look over the building, because I have asked them on many occasions to please help us remove the junk from the building to give our building more space. And they say something like this back to me. You got it, Pastor, but your icebreakers aren't that bad. So that's teasing. They don't say that. Some of these are jokes. I want to say thank you to the tech team. Thank you, tech team. Because every Sunday they fast and pray about how to make me sound and look good. So thank you, tech team, for doing your job because you do it well. I want to say thank you to people like Dennis Champagne. I want to say thank you to Ron Letourneau. I want to say thank you to David Williams. Because often they look at me like I'm an idiot. 
for not recognizing what's plainly obvious that we're going to need a new church building soon because of the growth we're having here at Crossroads. Thank you guys for your faith because I appreciate that. And I want to say thank you to Crossroads Church in general for being the best hidden secret of the entire North Country. You guys really are. And I want to say thank you to the entire church. You guys are the best hidden secret of the North Country, except for that one with remaining moose. We still don't know where he is, but he is a secret and he's hiding from us. But honestly, I want to say thank you to all of you. You guys are a wonderful church body that I get to lead. And uh, you guys support me tremendously. So thank you. And I mean that genuinely. Thank you to Crossroads Church. I want to say most of my thanks this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? For being our bread of life. And we're going to look at that today. He's our bread of life every single day until eternity. And that's where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, join us in John chapter 6. We have Bibles in the back bookshelf. If you would like a Bible, you can take a Bible and use it or keep it. John chapter 6, verses 22 to 40 is where we're going to be. And I'm going to read sort of a long narrative, but it's a really powerful story. And I want you to understand a lot of what's going on here today. So follow, me, follow along in verse 22 as we start in John chapter 6. It says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. That's our text this morning. Nourished is where we're going. We have a three-point outline. Hopefully you got the notes as you walked in this morning. Our three-point outline is this. Number one, insufficient nourishment. Followed by number two, <clears throat> sufficient nourishment. And then number three, decision time. That's our outline today. Let's talk about number one, insufficient nourishment. Now, I decided to look up the word nourish. This is probably a word that we know. But I like looking up words just to make sure we're crystal clear in what we're talking about today. And the word nourish means this. I don't know if you can see that, but I'm going to read it out loud. It says, to provide with the food or other substances necessary for growth, health, and good condition. Now, of course, you can have physical nourishment, and we all do on a regular basis. We wouldn't be here today if we didn't have it. We have nourishment on a regular basis physically because we eat and we sustain ourselves. But you can also have nourishment spiritually and we're going to talk about both today both physical nourishment and spiritual nourishment because that's where jesus takes us in this passage so that's what we're going to talk about today nourishment now i've told you before there are a couple foods that i really really enjoy a couple foods that i eat regularly and they're right on the screen there i like for some reason i like chips and salsa anyone else chips and salsa fan i could sit down and eat a whole bag and janine has reminded me that when i eat four chips that's a whole tortilla so by eating like a whole bag or half a bag i've eaten a lot of food um, but I really like it. It's, it's one of those foods I sit down and eat a lot. And I also like what my wife makes is banana graham cracker pie. Those are two things that nourish me and they nourish my spirit. And they nourish my body. But 
even though I like these foods, and I know you guys have your top five or top three things that you like as well, you can't eat just those favorite foods, can you? You can't have just chips and salsa and just pie, even though sometimes I do. Because that would not be a, a nourished body. That would not be a healthy body who ate only those types of foods. Sometimes it's okay, but sometimes we have to nourish our body with lots of different foods to make ourselves healthy. Now, who else here is a big bread fan? Now, I know that's a touchy subject to bring up because of the gluten issues today, but, but I'm a big bread fan, and I, I really am thankful for bread. I eat a lot of bread, and uh, I'll, I'll take any bread I can get, really. Um, it's just one of my favorite foods. Uh, I like baked bread. I like all kinds of bread. I like sweet bread. Um, so any bread that I can get my hands on, I will eat. But I don't eat all bread, right? That would be silly because there's some bread out there that's not edible. Take a look at that picture on the left. Um, that is not bread that I would eat. I have never been that hard up to say, Janine, make me a sandwich of the moldy bread. Never done that. Never would do that. I don't like moldy bread. Um, Jesus reminded us of this in Matthew chapter 4. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. He actually told this to the devil in the wilderness as he was being tempted. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil was trying to get Jesus to make the stones into bread to nourish himself. Jesus, nourish your body. You're hungry. It's been 40 days since you've tasted food. Take those rocks, make them bread, and nourish your body. And Jesus said, that is not the only nourishment that I need. In fact, there's a greater nourishment that I need. And it proceeds from the mouth of God. It is his every word. That is true nourishment. And he told that to the devil, and he remained doing the will of God because he told him that. Well, there's also a word called malnourished. Malnourished. When you're malnourished, the definition is you're not properly nourished and you're suffering from malnutrition. This is a bad place to be, both physically and spiritually, to be malnourished, to not have the proper sustenance, the proper food that you need. So Jesus, this kind of sets a context for what Jesus is going to say to us in verse 22 as we begin this narrative. Now he says in verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea. Now we need to stop here because those are phrases that sort of help, help us understand that we need some context here. We need some context. He says on the next day, we're supposed to ask questions like, well, what happened the day before? And then he says the crowd, and we're supposed to say, what crowd, Jesus? And then he tells us they remained on the other side of the sea. We're supposed to say, well, what sea, Jesus? What are we talking about? And that context is going to be very important. Most context is in the Bible. When you're studying the Bible, you want to make sure you're, you're aware of the context of what you're reading because it's going to support what is being said. And we're going to eventually get to that context because I told you it's very important to what Jesus is saying to this crowd of people. But let's read this passage together. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now there's another interesting point to this passage. If you read the passage right before this, these people are wondering where Jesus went. His disciples got in a boat and they crossed over the sea. They noticed that Jesus did not go with them. There was one boat remaining, and they're, they're wondering, where did Jesus go? Did Jesus go off on his own? If you read the passage right before this, it's where Jesus walks on the water. Do you guys remember that? The disciples did go in the sea, and they crossed over the sea, and Jesus went to his disciples on the sea without a boat. He walked on the water to his disciples and eventually got in the boat with them and crossed over to the sea. And these people don't know that. They weren't there for that. So they have no idea how Jesus went and left them and got away from them, and they're seeking to find him. And I think this is a sweet part to the story. It really sets it up in a really profound way because it says right here, they're seeking Jesus. Isn't that great? They're seeking Jesus. This crowd of people is seeking to be near the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so, they're hunting for him. They're, they're searching for him. They're trying to find him as much as they can. And then they find Jesus. And they say to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? The better question, question should have been is, how did you come here, Jesus? How did you get here? That would have been an interesting story for them to hear. But I think that's a sweet part to the story. They're basically saying, Jesus, we miss you. You know, we want to be around you. Next time, 
Tell us when you're going to leave so that we can follow. We want to go wherever you're going, Jesus. Whatever footsteps you take, Jesus, we want to take those footsteps as well. Let us know where you're going, when you're going, so we can follow you. And at least that's what it sounds like to me when I first read this passage, is they really want to be near Jesus. So Jesus is going to respond to these people. And his answer to me is a little peculiar. He says in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Two things come into my mind when I read that is going, well, that sounds a little harsh, Jesus. You know, they're really seeking you. They're really trying to be near you. And that's what you say back to them. Going, you're not seeking me for the right reasons. And then my second question is, what loaves? What's he talking about? What is Jesus referring to here in this passage? And again, I told you, context is going to be important to this passage. Really important to understand what Jesus is talking about. If we don't understand the context, we will not understand the message that he's talking about today. So let's do a little bit of a homework and go back to John 6, verses 1 to 15. Now, we're not going to read the account here, but most of you know this classic story from John 6, verses 1 to 15. This is the feeding of the 5,000. This is where Jesus is teaching a long sermon, longer than Pastor Todd's, okay? This, this sermon went on for hours and hours. And Jesus is teaching this massive crowd of people, at least 5,000 people, sitting upon a hill, teaching them for hours, and the day begins to wane, and people start to get hungry. And the question comes to Jesus is going, where are we going to feed all these people? These people got to, got to get food. They got to nourish them, their bodies. And so his disciples think it's a good plan to sort of send them away, send them into the town, send them back home. You know, take a break. Take, take a respite and let them, let them feed their bodies. And maybe they can come back for an evening service, Jesus. But why don't you turn the people loose and let them feed themselves because they're hungry? Well, Jesus has a better plan. He says, what food do we have? What food is available? Well, they're able to scrounge up one small boy's little lunch. It has five barley loaves and two fish. And that's all they can find for five thousand people and so the disciples kind of sheepishly bring this meal to jesus going jesus i'm sorry this is all we could find and i know that's not nearly enough i mean it barely could feed us a little bit and so they think again jesus it's probably better to turn them loose and let them go find food on their own and we know what happens don't we jesus takes the five small loaves and the two small fish and breaks them apart and breaks them apart and breaks them apart and breaks them apart until they're passing food to all five thousand people plus there on the hill, and everyone eats so much food, they're stuffed. They're stuffed. In fact, they have so much food left over, they fill 12 baskets worth of leftovers. Doggy bags. 12 baskets full of food. It's a miracle. Jesus performed a miracle right before their eyes, right before his disciples' eyes. That is the context of what we're talking about today when Jesus says, you came, you following me because you ate your fill of the loaves. That's what he's talking about. He's referring to the feeding of the 5,000. So again, when they said to him, when they found him on the other side, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, but not because you saw signs. Not because you saw a miracle. Not because that miracle validated who I am. Not because you now know that I'm the Christ and now know that I'm the Son of God and are ready to surrender your lives to me. That's not why you're seeking me. You're seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves and you liked that feeling. It nourished your body. You felt stuffed. You felt full. You felt satisfied. And now you're going, well, we want to feel that again. Now, this is the next day. So they want to feel that feeling again. Again, you can have a nice meal like we will on Thanksgiving, a nice big meal. And that's not going to sustain you for Friday or Saturday. You're going to have to eat again and again and again because that's how the body is made. And so Jesus is pointing that out. And, and this is sort of an interesting contrast that Jesus is talking about to the people. He's telling them that they're seeking him for the wrong reasons. It's so different than the, this passage in Matthew 27 where the centurion, who was one of those people who was responsible for putting Jesus upon the cross, and he's witnessing everything. He's witnessing Jesus not defend himself. He's witnessing Jesus save and, and forgive one of the thieves on the cross. He's witnessing the sky going dark in the middle of the day. He's witnessing these powerful signs and these powerful authenticators that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's coming to this conclusion, and he actually says this come out of his mouth. 
truly this was the Son of God. The one that we just crucified, the one that we just put up on the cross is the Christ, the Son of God. That is what comes to this man's conclusion as he's crucifying Jesus Christ. But that's a contrast to the people that are seeing Jesus in our passage. They're not concerned about the Christ. They're concerned about their bellies. <laughs> um, maybe you guys have seen this movie. Um, what's the movie? Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist. And Oliver Twist is an orphan boy, and uh, he's you know, really hungry, and they have all these orphan boys in this one big setting, and they give him just a small portion of food. And Oliver is chosen, basically chosen to be the one that goes up and asks for more food, which I guess was very taboo. You didn't do that. And he's completely rebuffed and mocked and criticized for that. And, but that's what's going on here. This is what's going on. Jesus, we felt good. Jesus, thank you for the bread. Thank you for the wonderful meal. I mean, you guys ever go to your favorite restaurant and eat really good, and then the next thought in your mind is going, we got to do that again soon. That went great. I really enjoyed the food that I had tonight. And you start planning for the next time that you can come. That's what those people are doing. Jesus, we felt great. And Jesus calls them out on it, interestingly enough. And then he says this in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes. What I believe he's saying is do not work primarily for the food that perishes. I do not believe that Jesus is chiding them for providing for their family. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing at all. I don't think he's saying it's wrong to work, to get money, to buy your family food and support yourselves physically that way, so therefore that's wrong, don't do that. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think he's saying don't work primarily for the food that perishes because that's what food does, right? Even bread goes moldy. Food goes bad. Even food that we eat passes through our system and it's gone and we have to get more and more. And Jesus is saying that's, that's shallow. That's earthly. That's temporal. Don't primarily work for what is temporal. Don't primarily work for what is earthly. But for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, there is food that endures to eternal life. Did you know that? There's food that we can eat that endures forever and ever and ever. Well, according to Jesus, yes, there is. And he says, the Son of Man will give you this food if you want it. If you want this food, I will give it to you. That's why I've come. In fact, that's why the God the Father has set his seal upon Jesus Christ. So that he may give you exactly what you need. And I think that's a beautiful phrase, a beautiful verse to follow the one that he just said to the people. And here we have a contrast between physical and spiritual. And you'll see this contrast all the way through the scriptures. Constantly Paul and Jesus and Peter and James and John reminding us that physical is good, but there's something far better. The earth is good. The needs upon the earth are important, but there's something far more important than our physical bodies. We know that, right? We know that we're not here forever. We know that the earth does not continue forever. Our bodies and our lives do not continue forever. But we also don't like to think about that either because it brings up our mortality. But Jesus is going to bring it up because he's going to offer these people a gift, an upgrade. And he has to contrast the physical, the temporal, with the spiritual, which is eternal. Don't primarily work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. And there's a choice between food that is physical and food that is spiritual. And you can only pick one. Jesus says, focus and strive for the food that is spiritual. It will nourish you longer. It will nourish you more profoundly. Sadly, in our culture, um, what's being permeated is something called the prosperity gospel. Now, I actually have a complex relationship with the prosperity gospel because I love the name prosperity gospel. I mean, who doesn't? The word prosperity gospel is not a bad phrasing of words. That's exactly what the gospel does. The gospel brings prosperity. The gospel brings life. The gospel brings eternal life, happiness, joy, security, life with God forever and ever. Is there anything more prosperous than that? The answer is no. But sadly, when people talk about the prosperity gospel, and sadly, there's many preachers who are touting that when you follow Jesus Christ, when you give your life to God, you will get rich. You will get blessed on the earth with bigger houses, weird-looking boats, 
sweet looking cars and jewelry and money beyond your comprehension because that's how much our God loves you. You give your life to Jesus and your life on earth will get better. Now, I have read the Bible several times. I've never found it. I've never found Jesus saying anything like that. And I, I don't know where you can suddenly find such a thing, but it's being touted and, and permeated in our culture at rampant rates. And sadly, I believe what most of these so-called pastors are doing are lining their own pockets, making themselves prosperous by getting the people to believe a lie. It's sad, but it's true. That is not what Jesus is talking about today at all. But he is talking about prosperity. He is, and he is talking about the gospel. But we need to understand the contrast of what Jesus is saying. He's saying to us today, to his people there, it's time to upgrade. You had a good meal. I provided the meal, Jesus says. I'm the one who gave you the bread. I'm the one who broke the fish and broke the loaves so that you could eat. I love you. And food's not bad. Sustaining yourself physically is not bad. Jesus is going to tell these people today, I have something better for you, though. Something far better for you than physical nourishment. So we've talked about insufficient nourishment. Let's talk about number two, sufficient nourishment. And this is where Jesus is going to spend the most of his time. Now, again, in only a few days, we're all going to have a wonderful, most of us, Thanksgiving dinner and probably eat more than we should. But I'll say even as a pastor, that's, that's not bad. In fact, I would even say that's good. It's good to have occasional feasts and times of Thanksgiving and times of bounty. I really believe that's a good thing. I believe Thanksgiving is a great holiday to offer your thanksgiving to the Lord and to satisfy yourself with wonderful blessings that he's given you. So I don't want anyone feeling guilty this Thursday, okay? Have at it, okay? Don't, don't go too crazy. Your body will reject it eventually. Um, but enjoy, enjoy God's bounty, a feast unto the Lord, and I believe that's a good thing. But here's the problem again with Thanksgiving. It helps us on Thursday. The turkey sandwich is left over. It can help us for a couple more days. But eventually that food is going to wear off. It's going to go bad, and we're going to need more. That's just how the body works. Thursday, we'll feel good. And Thursday, we'll probably feel good. Friday and Sunday, up till Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll probably start looking for new kinds of food. Because that's how the body works. We feast, and then we get hungry again. Don't you wish something could really satisfy you? I mean, truly satisfy your every longing. On Thursday, we're going to feel hungry when we smell the food cooking in the kitchen. But I wonder today, how, we're, how are we feeling spiritually? Are we hungry? Are we feeling that same feeling towards the Word of God as we feel towards food on Thanksgiving or food in general? Are we going up to the Lord every single day and saying, Lord, thank you for that wonderful bread from heaven that you gave me, the bread of life. Lord, if you would teach me again, if you would show me more, if you'd show me more of your depths of doctrine, more of your depths of truth, that I might follow you greater. And that's a challenge even to me, to ask me, where am I most hungry? Where am I most looking for food? Here upon the earth or from Jesus? So Jesus says again, do not work primarily for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And notice this phrase, which the Son of Man will give you which the Son of Man will give to you. I am not here to tease anybody. If you want the food that endures to eternal life, if you want the upgrade, guess what? That's why I came. That's why God the Father has set his seal on Jesus Christ so that he can feed his sheep. So they can feed all those who are hungry. So they can satisfy all the longings of our heart. Aren't you thankful for that? That Jesus doesn't go, hey, that's not good enough food. You need better food. You need inter eternal food. See you later. Yeah. That's not what Jesus does. He says, listen, I have it. I have it. I gave you food yesterday. You like that food? Guess what? I have better food. I have better, longer-lasting food for every single one of you, and I want you to have it. That's why I came. These people here are, are learning something today as Jesus is speaking they're content to splash around in the kiddie pool, and they're happy for that. And that's not bad. Jesus is not saying, you know, be discontented with what I've given you on the earth. He's saying, listen, there's, something, there's somewhere better. There's something better. There's something far better than all the pleasures and treasures and food of this life. 
and I've come to give it to you. I've come to offer it to you. If you will only see, if you will only look deeper within the longings of your soul, you could have this bread. You could taste of this life today and you could be nourished beyond your wildest imagination. So they hear Jesus say this, that he has food that endures to eternal life and this is their response back to him. Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? I mean, we want a part of that. I mean, if someone comes up to you and says, listen, what you just sampled yesterday, I have something far better for you, exponentially better for you, and I'm, I'm here to give it to you. Well, these people are like, yeah, yeah, we want it. Give it to us, Jesus. What do we do? What kind of things should we do? I mean, should we show you our church attendance? You know, should we go work in a soup kitchen? Should we sell something and give it to the poor, Jesus? Just tell us. We'll do it right now. We want whatever you're talking about. And tell us what to do. And this Jesus' response back to them is also interesting. He said, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. Is that it, Jesus? Believe? That's it? I don't have to like work up to this thing, like graduate and get a PhD in Christianity in order to get all this stuff. He says, believe. Believe. Believe who I am. Believe why I came. Believe that I'm the Christ. Believe that I am the bread of life. And you will have it. It's that simple. This reminds me of a passage from Romans 10 where Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, notice it, you will be saved. Don't you love how simple God made it? We are simple people. We need a simple solution to our really big problem, and thankfully God gave it to us. He sent someone so profound, so sufficient, so magnificent to this earth that he did all the heavy lifting. That in order to find reconciliation, that means togetherness with Christ, or togetherness with God again, to find forgiveness of our sins, to find eternal life in the bread of life, all we must do is set our eyes upon Jesus Christ and say, you are Lord. You are the Christ. You have been risen from the dead. God has set his seal upon you, Jesus. And Jesus says, the moment that you do that, you will be saved. And I will begin to give you the bread of life. I will begin to give you all of my blessings that I came to offer you. You will be the child of God, and God himself will take care of you. I love the simplicity. I've been able to give that gospel message to my children. My children who are five, six years old can understand that Jesus came to offer us eternal life, and it's simply by believing that we receive it. So I want you to put yourself in, the, pick, in the, the shoes of these people. They're hearing this discourse from Jesus, understanding that there's greater bread, there's better bread, there's longer-lasting bread, and Jesus came to give it to them. And then the way that they receive this bread is simply by believing in Jesus. What would your response be to that? You got it, Jesus. I believe right now. Where's the bread? Well, they said to him this, then what sign do you do? That we may see and believe you, Jesus. What work do you perform? You know what they're asking for? Validation. Thank you, Estelle. You're paying attention. Come on up here and preach. Come on. Come on. No, you know what you I'm just teasing. She's right. These people are asking for something quite curious. Now, the, this, the question or the statement here, the question they're making here is a really good question. If someone says, listen, I'm the Christ. I'm the son of God. I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven and I can give you bread that endures to eternal life. It's a really good idea to ask for validation. Really good idea. You better have validation that someone is the Christ if they claim to be the Christ, okay? That's a really good thing to ask. And I, don't, I am not bothered and Jesus is not bothered by the question. Everyone should ask that question when someone says, I'm the Christ. I'm the son of God. Follow me with all of your life you should say, how do I know you're the Christ? I said in verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you notice what's going on here? Where are their minds? On their tummies. Still. Why are they asking for a validation? That's the real curious question. Why are they asking for a validation? It was only yesterday 
that Jesus did something magnificent before their eyes. And they're saying, Jesus, listen, I'll believe you. I want to believe you. I want this bread that you're offering me, but you got to prove it, Jesus. you got to prove that you're the Christ and the Son of God. I mean, we're not just going to believe you blindly, Jesus. Give us something to hang our hat upon. And here's the problem. <laughs> and this is what I think Jesus is probably feeling at this moment, the eye roll with the sigh. You guys ever do that? <sighs> Sometimes I feel this way with my own children going, really, guys? We've gone over this many times. I can't put words into Jesus' mouth or imagine his response at this moment, but I can imagine being a little frustrated if I was Jesus by their response. Because what had only happened yesterday. Yesterday! A miracle right before their eyes. The feeding of the 5,000. This is the same people. The same crowd that is following Jesus and asking Jesus for another sign. Jesus, you're the Christ? You're the Son of God. First time we're hearing this, Jesus. They just heard the whole Sermon on the Mount. And now they're going, Jesus, we're going to need some validation from you. And really what they're asking for is more bread. More bread, everybody. He's going to do something. Get ready. Get your baskets out. Bread is going to fall from the sky. They're thinking about their tummies. They're thinking about their physical bread and physical nourishment that they desire they're not thinking yet about the bread that jesus came to offer we know this because you don't have to go back that far in the text only to verse 14 to find that these people had already received the validation this is the same group of people that are asking for the sign they said in verse 14 after jesus did the miracle right before their eyes Notice it, when the people saw the sign, not heard about it, not hearsay, they saw the miracle before their eyes that he had done, Jesus. They said, this is indeed the prophet. And that is not talking about just a prophet, that's, that's talking about the Christ. The chosen one, the son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. They come to that conclusion after seeing what Jesus did right before their eyes. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If you saw that miracle, if we were a part of that crowd and saw that miracle, we would, should come to the same conclusion, going, you're the Christ. You're clearly the Son of God. You're the prophet who was sent into the world. Jesus, we're believers, we're followers from now on. We're yours. But you fast forward to verse 30, and they said to him, then what sign do you do, Jesus that we may see and believe you, what work do you perform? Now, it's easy to get on top of these people and go, guys, come on. You're not, you're not using your brains here. You're not thinking clear-headedly here. But how many times do we do this with God? How many times does God bring us through a trial? Does God provide something amazing right at the moment that we need it? Does God bring us through some intense suffering and heartache and dust us off and pick us back up and set us on our course and it's amazing and we praise him and thank him going lord you are worthy to be praised i will serve you i will go to church i will do all these things for you and then only a few days go by and we're right back into another trial and we're going where's god where's does he exist does he care does he love me and i'm not getting on top of you guys i, I do this even as a pastor sometimes i wonder where is god and what God says to me is, Todd, I've always been there, and I'll always be there. And you've seen me time and time again. Last week we talked about counting our blessings, naming them one by one. That's a really good idea this Thanksgiving. Take a little bit of time, even if it's just personal time with you and the Lord, and count your blessings. List them. Count them. Consider all that God has done for you, because it builds your faith. But they're looking for more bread. Our fathers, they're referring to the days of Moses when they were hungry in the wilderness and God dropped this thing called manna from the sky and they ate it and were satisfied and they're going, listen, we'd love to see something like that, Jesus. Drop some manna, drop some bread. How about those rolls from Texas Roadhouse? You guys ever had those? <laughs> Woo! Jesus, you could drop something like that, man. We will be believers. Come on, let's see it. They're not thinking about believing. They're not thinking about the Christ. They're thinking about their tummies. Please, sir, I want some more. That's what they're saying. More bread, more stuff. Jesus, give us more stuff. Now, if that was the, the second time, maybe they needed one more time and they would really believe. Maybe Jesus would, but I think Jesus is picking up on a heart issue here. They're, they're not really concerned with Jesus. 
They're not concerned with following him. They're not concerned with believing in him. They're not concerned about his commandments. They're concerned with themselves. I think that's what Jesus is picking up on, and he's bringing it out. So Jesus responds in verse 32, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And he's right before your eyes today. The manna wasn't the bread. The manna was not the sustenance that God sent into the world. The manna could only satisfy you for one meal. The Father has sent him the true bread from heaven to satisfy you for every single moment of your life until eternity. That is the true bread that God has sent into the world, and his name is Jesus. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. God's bread gives life forevermore. And that's a beautiful thing to know. That God did not just send Jesus down here to bless us with some teaching, bless us with some food, give us a bigger car or more money and go, there you go, you should be good for now. No, I came to satisfy you forever. I came to heal your soul. I came to give you life in heaven with God. That's why I came. Taste of that bread and live forever. And this is what Jesus has done for those of us who are believers. We tasted of that bread and we ran out of our graves and we lived again. The shackles and the chains were off. Our sins were forgiven us and we had life with God again and it's all because we tasted of the true bread of life and his name is Jesus. And that's what Jesus is talking about today. Have you believed? Have you tasted of his bread? Have you tasted of that bread that once you taste of it, all your senses come alive? And I mean spiritually speaking, and you can see again. You can reason again. You can live for righteousness and love again. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus says this, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. He's not talking about Physical thirst. I get physically thirsty. I told you that. I get physically thirsty all the time. I'm going to take a drink right now. What a nice little segue. I get thirsty all the time physically. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Listen, when you taste of my water, you'll never be thirsty spiritually. I will satisfy every longing of your soul because I created you. And because I love you. And because I never want to see my children thirsty. I don't like when my kids are thirsty, do I, guys? I'm thinking about your drink and your food all the time. So is mom. We have eight kids to think about. There's a lot of different drinks to get ready. A lot of different cups to fill. Think about how many children God has. And he thinks about every single one of our thirsts and hungers and longings. And I'm so thankful for that. Here's the response that people said after hearing all of this. It's a beautiful response. Sir, give us this bread always. The bread that you're referring to, Lord, that is better than the bread we had yesterday, that could satisfy us forever, give us that bread always. Isn't that a beautiful response? We get it, Jesus. We get it. We understand now. The light bulb went on over their heads going, finally, Jesus, we get it. You didn't come to give us bread. You came to give us bread forever. We get it, Jesus. We understand. Light bulb came on. We're believers. We're followers. And let's go. Let's do this. Right? Maybe? Maybe? No. Now it's decision time for us, and this is where we're going to end today. <laughs> you ever come to one of these? Looks like there's a literal fork in the road, wherever this is. Well, these people are coming to a fork in the road. They heard what Jesus said. They experienced what they experienced only the day before, and now they have a decision to make, to continue on desiring bread, physical sustenance, or to listen to what Jesus says and long for something way, way better. Life, eternal life with God. That's their decision before them. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, so there's no confusion. I am the bread of life. We're not using he's anymore. I'm going to tell you that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Never ever hunger again boy if you have ever been hungry spiritually this is the most amazing news you could ever hear i have been hungry spiritually i know what that period is like to hunger to have my 
my, to almost feel every, every bone in my body because I'm so hungry, spiritually speaking, and then for Jesus to come and satisfy my longings. And Jesus promises us that we will never thirst and never hunger again. But notice the verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. The light bulb did not go on over their heads and Jesus knows it. How does Jesus know it? Well, he's Jesus. That's the answer, right? But we're going to find out here how Jesus knows it. I'm going to give you a little bit of spoiler alert if no one wants to know the end of the story. Now it's time to step out for five minutes. Because um, I'm going to tell you how the passage ends. The passage ends in a very sad way, sadly. Because it looks like maybe when they said, Sir, give us this bread always, that maybe they're understanding everything Jesus is saying. But if you scroll down to the end of the chapter, verse 66, we find a really, one of the saddest phrases, I think, in the entire Bible. Jesus gives a longer discourse on the bread of life. Talks about how they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood and how important it is to long for him spiritually and in verse 66, it says, after this. And remember, this is the next day. This is the next day. The day before, they were part of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. After Jesus' discourse on the bread of life, many of his disciples, it's not talking about the 12, many of the crowd who were following him, who were seeking him, who were trying to find him and were listening to his teachings, turned back and no longer walked with him. Why not? He just told them he has better things for them. You thought that was good. Wait till you get this bread. It will blow your minds. They got up and walked out the door. Why? Why? They couldn't see. I'll even say it this way. They didn't want to see. They didn't want to see. They were focused only upon their physical bodies, their physical joy, their physical happiness, that they couldn't see the blessings that Jesus came to offer them. And they said, well, we're going to another church then. We're going to go find the church down the block, Jesus, because I heard they have wonderful bread. Bread they'll give us today for our bodies. And they left. Jesus drew lines, didn't he? Jesus was not one of those people that never told the truth. Jesus told the truth all the time. And the truth sometimes is unpalatable for us. It just is. We don't want to hear truth. We want to hear things that ring in our ears and make us feel good. But Jesus often just said, this is what you need to hear. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. There is no other Savior. There is no other Christ. You come through me or you don't come at all. Why would you say that, Jesus? That's so harsh. That's so exclusive. Because it's true. Because it's true. I am the Christ, I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, and I've been sent from my Father to this world to feed you forever. But you've got to understand, there is no other Christ. You pass on this boat, there's no other boat coming. Before we end up today, we're going to answer this question, is how do we nourish ourselves with Jesus? Because I don't want to be ambiguous here today. I don't want us walking out the door going, oh, what do we do? Eat less physically? What do we do, Jesus? What do we do, Pastor? I'm going to tell you today. I think these are three things we can do to nourish ourselves with Jesus. Number one is go to him daily. Go to him. Sit at his feet. Open the word. Read the Bible. Go. Let him teach you wisdom. Let him give you strength. Let him give you counsel and truth. Sure, you can go to the bookstore. You can go to the internet. You can pull up Google. But it won't be anything near what Jesus can give you. It won't satisfy you, it won't help you, it won't forgive you, it won't give you strength to overcome the enemy. The only one who can do this remains the bread of life, Jesus. If you want to nourish yourselves and really be nourished, go to him every single day. Yeah, today's Sunday, we're feasting here today in the word of God. It's like Thanksgiving. But guess what? You're going to need it tomorrow too. And probably tonight. Maybe this afternoon. Go to Jesus daily for wisdom, strength, counsel, and truth. Number two, Live in such a way that we can't succeed without him. I can't not eat, Jesus. I don't care how strong I get physically, how wise I get physically. If Jesus doesn't feed me, I will fall. And I'm telling you this as your pastor. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not experienced enough. If I don't daily nourish myself, I can't lead you. I can't. I have to have Jesus feed me every single day, and you do as well. 
I'm not here preaching to you today so you don't have to feed yourself for the remainder of the week. That's not what we're doing here. This is an encouragement to eat often. Eat often. Live in such a way that we can't live without Jesus. Number three, similar to how we eat physically, discipline yourself to be near his feet. I mean, we eat three, four times a day. When was the last time you ate that regularly spiritually? And it doesn't always have to be studying a passage of the Bible. Sometimes it could be fellowship or prayer or singing or hearing a song. But something that brings the truth into your soul and embeds it within your soul. And we sit at the feet of Jesus. Boy, if we did that like we do eat physically, I think we'd be really strong. I think we'd be a really hard church to knock off. Because we'd be really, really nourished. And that's a way we nourish ourselves with Jesus. Now, before we close, I told you we were going to get back to this story because this story is common to most of us, familiar to most of us, but I want to end on this. And I want you to think about what Jesus had just said to these people while we read this because I don't think I've ever done that. Usually when I read this passage, I isolate it from the entire context of John 6 and I go, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's think about this passage or what Jesus said as we read this passage it's the feeding of the 5,000 from John 6, 1 to 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Notice it. Many validations. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? It's a big crowd, right? 5,000 people, you ever seen a crowd that big? There's a stadium in Michigan for their football team that can hold 100,000 people. That's a big crowd. This is an immense crowd before Jesus, and they're all hungry. And they all need food. And they're like, well, where are we going to get food for this many people? Jesus is the one who asked the question. Isn't that interesting? Jesus posed that question to disciples. Guys, that's a big crowd. Where are we going to get food for all these people? Verse 6, he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he was going to do. He already had a plan. He wanted to know if his disciples had picked up on it by yet, by that point. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little... Philip's thinking physically. Uh, we got this much, this many people, this much money. It still doesn't work, Jesus. There's just not enough. There's not enough. Sorry, let him go. Turn him to the towns. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, there is a boy. You got to love Andrew, man. At least Andrew had a little bit of sense to go, well, it's something. Um, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? It's something, but it's not enough. At best, we can just let them all have a little sample of food. There was no other food there. I mean, think about that. There was no other food there. Jesus had this plan long ago that he was always going to do it this way. He didn't make it up on the fly. He didn't get surprised by how big the crowd was. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. I think the boy was planted there. I think the whole thing was on purpose and the sovereignty of God that Jesus is going to do a miracle that day for everyone to see. Jesus said, have the people sit down. He had just heard that, that all they have is a small boy's lunch, and he said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Woo, big crowd. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, notice it, as much as they wanted. It wasn't a sample. It was a full meal. As much as they wanted. Take as much as you need. The buffet, right? That's why we love the buffet. <laughs> I can just go back and back and back again until I'm really satisfied. That's basically what Jesus gave them. A buffet. Here's a small meal. I give you not only a tasty, not only a sampling, but it's a buffet. Take as much as you need. There's going to be plenty. There's going to be tons left over, by the way. Remember the Laternos on Wednesdays? Yeah, when there's food left over. Guys, take it. Please, take it home. There's lots. When they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, gathered them up 
and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. It's a miracle. It's amazing to see Jesus do this. <laughs> Take some home with you. There's plenty left over. And yes, that, tw- that number 12 is symbolic. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples. Jesus does everything on purpose. Don't you love that? Everything. Everything is on purpose with Jesus. Nothing is random. When the people, notice it, saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. They say that. This is Jesus, the Christ. This is the Son of God before us today. Who else could do that? Who else could do what we just did? This clearly is the Christ that has been foretold. Praise be the Lord, joy to the world that Jesus is here. But we know how the story ends. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Do you see the contrast? That day they were so convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. It's like, we got to get him a palace today. Like, get him a crown, get him a scepter, put him on his throne, put him in a palace today. He's the king. He's the Christ. We've seen it with our own eyes. <clears throat> Jesus has to withdraw. He has to get out of there so they don't do that because that's not the plan of God. What's the point? What is the point here today? Number one, we desperately need spiritual nourishment that lasts into eternity. Jesus was simply wetting their whistle that day wetting their appetite so they know what he's capable of doing, going, man, if he could do that for me, I have a sin problem too, Jesus. I I need eternal life too, Jesus. I mean, if you did that, certainly you could do this, right? Only Jesus can nourish the souls. That should have been the conclusion. Number two, let us eat of his sustaining bread every day so that we can accomplish the will of God with our lives. I love that Jesus came down with all sufficiency. All the bread we need. He's never in want. He's never lacking. The cupboards are never bare. Every single time you need strength. Every single time you need nourishment. Every single time you need forgiveness. Guess who has it? Jesus. And he has it in abundance. And he wants you to come. He wants you to taste. He wants you to have it. Because that's how much he loves us. And that's how powerful and profound our Christ is. Sure, we know it. I know we know it. I know we're nodding here today, but will we depend upon it? Or do we keep a foothold in life just in case Jesus lets us go? I don't want to fall, so if Jesus doesn't have it, I'm still okay because I got my foothold. But the wise person puts 100% of dependency upon the Lord and says he can't give way. By his very nature, he will sustain me, he will nourish me, and I can depend on him with everything I have. Imagine if we lived that way. Imagine what we could accomplish if we went out in the faith of God, in the strength of Jesus, and said, watch out, devil, here we come. For God's will. We didn't really look at these verses, so let's end on them. John 6, 22, or excuse me, 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, notice it, I will never cast out. You come to Jesus, you'll never be disappointed. No one will ever be turned away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What are we eating? How are we finding our nourishment? Is it with the world? The things that will pass away? Or is it with the Christ, the one who can sustain us forever? We've got to eat. And I want you to eat this week. I don't want you to just eat Thanksgiving dinner, although that's good. Eat spiritually. Nourish yourself spiritually. Sit before the feet of Jesus. And maybe it's a good thing we're not having Wednesday this week. Because maybe that means we all need to go directly to the source and we need to eat from him this week and say, Jesus, it's always been you. It'll always be you. Please nourish me. And he will. He will. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, we don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, Father. I don't deserve your constant 
steady, faithful blessings and nourishment, Father. But you have told me, have told us today that you came to give us these things because you love us and because you want us satisfied and you want us secure and you want us strengthened and you want us happy forever. Father, help us. I pray for those in this room who have never tasted of that bread, who are trying to live on simple physical sustenance to get by and have never tasted of the spiritual nourishment that Jesus offers. Father, I pray for every soul in this room that we would see what is clear and obvious before us today, that he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the bread of life, and there is no other bread that can sustain us. Father, help us to depend our 100% dependency upon that bread of life for your glory and for our benefit. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.